This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Beyonce be looking crazy, hella nice. Oh. All right, yo, Thank you better watch out, Jay-Z's bars, coming for you. Jigga man, what? You're not a lyricist or a rapper. Oh, All right, guys, I am mad at you. We are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with Stanley Fritz and Alyssa Fuchs and, of course, our intern, Monty. And we just wrapped up a great segment and show that was dedicated to the Orlando mass shooting. Again, we spoke about homophobia, religion, gun rights, terrorism. I mean, it was a lot. It was a lot. It was a lot to digest. And of course, if you want to hear that again, you can subscribe to our channel on iTunes at LYBBH Radio. But now we're actually going to end on a positive note, right? Um, We're going to end with the Dreamer and Doer series again. That is a monthly series that we do here on Let Your Voice Be Heard, where we honor an inspirational millennial who is doing great work in their community and to better the world for all of us. So, Angelo, who's actually been hanging out with us for at least like the last 40 minutes, he's Mm -hmm. here with us in studio. I'm going to give him a formal introduction. His name is Angelo Pinto. You're no stranger to WACR either. Not at all. Not at all. Okay. He's actually a founding member of the Justice League New York City. If you aren't familiar with the Justice League, um, that means you probably never went to a Black Lives uh, Black Lives Matter rally because they're all over and they're doing phenomenal work. It's actually a task force of juvenile and criminal uh, justice advocates, artists, experts, and formerly in, uh, incarcerated individuals. Right? He is also the campaign manager for the Raise the Age campaign at the Correctional Associations of New York. Now, the mission of Raise the Age campaign is to increase the age of criminal responsibility in New York from 16 years old to 18 years old to ensure that children are not being locked up in adult jails and prisons. Something that just makes sense, right? But New York and North Carolina can't seem to get it right. Um, In addition to that, before he came to the Correctional Association, Angela worked with the um, Arthur uh, Ashe Institute for Urban Health, designing health disparities based uh, designing health disparity based interventions for formerly incarcerated men in Central Brooklyn. I'm like Stan- that might have been you, Stanley, a couple years ago. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I've never been in prison. Well, actually, I have. Exactly, but it's well, wait, like, no, I was just in the bookings, and oh, that was okay. my fault. That was a Puerto Rican Day parade. I came out of the train station <laughs> and they arrested me right then and there. I, I know. Where I were know. you, Alyssa? <laughs> we needed you I then. I wasn't a lawyer yet. You know right. my friend Eric Henry. Ah, uh, probably do. Huh? Yeah. Right. So, um, on, on in addition, Angelo also previously served as a legal coordinator on Rikers Island, where he taught a legal research course to incarcerated adolescents and adults. Plus, he has a JD from the City University of New York Law School. So, you are doing phenomenal things. Thank you, thank you. Especially for being so young. Um, so, I actually want to start the conversation by um, having you talk more about the work you're doing with the Correctional Association's Raise the Age campaign. Mm -hmm. So what exactly are you guys fighting for? Definitely. So New York State is currently one of two states, North Carolina is the other, that automatically prosecute 16- and 17-year-olds as adults for any crime they commit. So if you're a young person and you live in New York City and you hop a turnstile, if you're caught with a small amount of marijuana or a gun, you're going to be charged as an adult and placed in an adult facility. And that means in New York City, even if you're not if the case hasn't been resolved, you're going to be on Rikers Island. So there's a young man named Khalif Browder who about a year ago was sent to Rikers Island for supposedly stealing a book bag. His family couldn't post bail. He ended up spending years on Rikers Island, a lot of that time in solitary confinement. There's video of, of him being assaulted by staff and other young men. Khalif was eventually released 
the case didn't go to trial, they didn't have enough evidence, and Khalif committed suicide while he was in his home in the Bronx. But there's a lot of other cases. I mean, Khalif's case got a lot of national attention, but there's also a case of a young man in Albany who just got nine years for stealing sneakers. If you look at the Central Park Five case, their case kind of speaks to this issue a lot. So there's a tremendous amount of cases of young people being prosecuted as adults. In New York State, it's 33,000 16- and 17-year-olds every year who are prosecuted as adults, and then eventually many of them end up in adult jails and prisons. Right, and I, I think that, you know, I've heard you, you know, I have did a lot of reading, and I heard you speak on one of the reason why this is so important, because, you know, if you're a child, if you're 16, 17 mm-hmm. years old, your mind is not fully developed That's yet, right. and you cannot really handle the abuses that come in prison and in jail. So that's one of the reasons why this campaign is so important. No, I, I just wanted. Um, I, on, I just wanted to add it because one mm-hmm. thing that I think you probably just skipped over was you also get prosecuted in criminal court versus in family yep. court because if you're a minor, then you go to family court and you know you're not actually having to go to criminal court where other people are being prosecuted, and you also get the benefit, which is even if you're found guilty, a lot of times you'll be adjudicated as a youthful offender or a juvenile offender, which means once you turn 18, um, your record will be wiped clean and you'll be able to answer that uh, you know not have to check any boxes. Um, so that's another big reason. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of reasons why we're trying to pass this legislation. I mean, as you said, that's one of the asks that young people are moved from the adult criminal court system to family court system. But as we know, the family court system also is overburdened. And what we're really asking for when we talk about system-wide transformation is alternatives to incarcerations and even alternatives to system involvement. Many of these young people don't deserve to be in the system at all. Many of them should not have been arrested. Um, I most recently, we've been working with a group of officers called the NYPD 12 who are blowing the whistle on the NYPD and talking about the quota system. And the reality is they have shed a light on the reality that they're just trying to lock up young people because people aren't paying attention to them. People don't care. They don't know their rights. Once they're in the system, it's hard to get out. And that's what we're dealing with. So this issue is really connected to when you look at stop and frisk and broken windows. And when you look at the larger picture of mass incarceration, you folks are just talking about mass shootings. But mass incarceration in this country is just as big, if not a bigger issue as well. No, definitely. That is true. Um, we're going to just move right along because you're also doing phenomenal work as one of the founding members of the Justice League, mm-hmm. um, which was brought under the banner of Harry Belafonte's The Gathering for Justice. Yep. So I want to know when and how did the Justice League come about? Because it was like all of a sudden I was just like on Instagram and I just kept seeing the, the Justice League all over and I just kept seeing you guys at marches and I was just like, OK, when and how? I called yeah. them a coalition of woke Negroes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. A lot of us were folks who knew each other in some capacity or, or another. The Gathering for Justice is an organization that Harry Belafonte started some years ago. The executive director is a young lady by the name of Carmen Perez, who was originally from Oxnard, California, then came to New York City to do youth justice work. And also a good friend of ours is a brother by the name of Marvin Bing, who now works for Amnesty International, and he does the art for Amnesty stuff. And even at that time, Michael Skolnick and Tamika Mallory were on the board of the Gathering for Justice. So we had put together a conference, this is like two years ago now, called Growing Up Lockdown, and it was just looking at youth justice. It was at the New School, Talib Kweli, Immortal Technique, Cornell West. We had a bunch of great folks come out. And then a couple of months later, you had the non-indictment of Officer Daniel Pantaleo and the death of Eric Garner. And what happened at that point was we were saying we're working on youth justice issues, but we want to be able to respond to what's happening in the city right now. And we took to the streets like many other folks. And some of it's because of, I think, 
the work we do, we knew that we couldn't just take to the streets. And we always talk about protesting with a purpose, whether it's legislatively or to get this officer fired or to get the attention of the mayor, the governor to make critical change. And that's kind of how the Justice League took off. We started before the non-indictment of Officer Daniel Pantaleo, but that just kind of catapulted us and had us start thinking about things differently. Folks went to Ferguson and most recently we just went to Flint a bunch of times this year. So, you know, we try to just keep our pulse on what's important and whatever makes us say we need to act, react. Right. No, no. And it's phenomenal work. Um, you know, Stanley mentioned he made a joke and he said he calls you guys a coalition of woke Negroes. But woke? actually, <laughs> I wanted to <laughs> ask you, like, when did you become woke and what inspired you to be this ancient agent of change? And when, and when can you give me that shirt, by the way? Oh, I could give you them. A friend of mine actually makes these. So I could get you. A oh, woke yeah, it shirt. says yeah, woke. woke. It yeah. says woke. You know, it's funny. I I think being a young person in New York, I was always aware that things were going on. And, you know, I was a young person like many young people who was doing some things I probably shouldn't have been doing when I was a teenager. That's just the reality of it, because teenagers do things they shouldn't do. Um, and I saw a lot of my friends get kicked out of high school. Um, I was lucky enough to go on to college and I actually left New York and went to Norfolk State University for a year and then ended up transferring to Clark Atlanta. But when I was in Norfolk State, there was an organization called, um, they were doing something, what was it called? The Prison Moratorium Project. And they were the first time I ever heard the word mass incarceration. And I was like, what is this? And I learned so much about policing and mass incarceration and the war on drugs before they were really framing it as that. I heard about people being incarcerated for long times for drug-related offenses. And then that kind of got me waking up a little bit and thinking about things differently. And, you know, the other piece that I think was very influential for me was elders. There were individuals who are very, I would say, like cultural nationalists, nationalists, um, and they were trying to teach me about African rights of passage and paying attention to who you are and knowing you have a responsibility in this world and to your community. And those things were the things that really allowed me to stay on a straight path and begin to transform the world around me. Wow. When I was at Clark Atlanta, I actually went through an African rights of passage called Ndugu and Nzinga. And it's funny, a professor here at City College, Dr. LaRue Lewis, who teaches in the sociology department, me and him and a cu couple of other folks run that same program here at City College on Monday nights. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that was one of the other things that has really been influential at not only letting me know that social justice work needs to be done, but also character development, as we kind of talk about it, and social trans personal transformation work is important as well. So I wonder, what name were you given when you finished that process? Uh, the name I was given was Chizolisi Sonda. That's my uh, my name. And it means with God, he is the peaceful negotiator. And Sonda means if you press, you will arrive. Oh, mm. wow. Um, so, you know, <laughs> with, um, you know, social justice work can be very tiring yes. and very frustrating. And emotionally draining. Right. Um, it can yep. make you want to quit. I hear that. Yeah. Right. Well. I mean, especially if you do it for a living. So I want to know what challenges have you faced in your advocacy work? You know, I think at times, like most recently, I was sleeping in, in Albany to get a piece of legislation passed. And very, you know, soon I knew it wasn't going to happen. There's the Republicans control the New York State Senate and they're not trying to pass any progressive piece of criminal justice reform. So I think one of the issues I faced a lot recently is knowing that certain things are not going to get passed. And what do you do with that? How do you continue to work within a system that you know 
is not shifting, is not changing, is not bending, is not doing anything for the folks who you're trying to change their lives. So I think that's something that I'm confronting more and more often in the Justice League. We often talk about it. And I think black and brown communities around the country are starting to ask themselves, what next? I think that's what happened after Trayvon Martin and folks were like, wow, nothing happens to this guy. What do we do? And I mean, Michael Brown, Eric Garner, and the list goes on. We're still asking ourselves, what do we do? And I think that's where I am. The question is, what do we do to get the kind of change we need? Because a lot of the things are just not good. Legislation, although that's what I do day in, day out, I don't think it changes things. I think it's an important piece of the puzzle and conversation. But I think what we're grappling with is a new time where we need new answers to some old problems. Right. So how do we also, you know, legislatively, we need to make these changes, right? How do we change people's hearts and Hmm. minds? I think the way you change people's hearts and minds is you have to build relationships with them. That's one of the things I've learned from the rites of passage time and time again. And we often talk about it. You could see two young people fighting in the street. I've seen it plenty of times. And then people, you see people try to intervene every now and then. And sometimes someone might get cursed out or hit by one of the young people. And I tell people the reason why that happens is because they haven't built a relationship with them. It's hard to correct or hold accountable someone you haven't held, you don't have a relationship with. And the same is true for our communities. It says it takes a community to raise a child. And we don't even have communities anymore. We just have hoods. So I think we have to really begin to transform our relationship with ourselves and our relationships with others. And and from there, we can begin to do some of the transformation work that we need. Definitely. Um, the question I have for you is, so one of the things that I've really in- appreciated about the, 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 mo- the new movement of wokeness is like everyone being so woke and aware of who they are. Yeah. But one of the things that's made me a little bit nervous is and not, not everyone, but it seems there seems to be this new energy of like when someone who's ignorant to an issue tries to ask a question, it's shot down like, I don't, it's not my job to tell you, go to Google. Go to the <laughs> white man's Google. Yeah. And the white man's Google has a lot of answers, but yeah. when you talk about relationships, that's for me, that's how I learned things. And when I was like really learning about feminism and intersectionality, I was lucky enough to have women like Selena, Alyssa, mm-hmm. our former host Patricia, who would be willing to like kind of listen to me and answer questions to me. So like, yeah. have you have you dealt with that? And like, if so, how do you deal with it? You know, I think it's I think it's a character issue. Yeah. You know, when I a while ago, I was when I was just doing social justice work, and I was disconnected from the community that I'm a part of. I was so drained and burnt out. And I, I was like, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. This is too much. And when I got back with the community, I was able to do the work because the community nurtured me. But I realized that the, a community, family, they give you the tools you need to engage with other people. And one of our fundamental principles is humility. Uh, and our definition is one's ability to correct oneself, correct others, and seek and receive correction without malice or attitude. So part of the issue I think we have when we deal with each other as folks in the community, is just too much malice and attitude. Um, and oftentimes we're bringing too much trauma to the conversation or we haven't addressed our own trauma and healed from it that we can't help anyone through their challenges or issues. And that, I mean, I think that's the issue America's facing right now. Mm. There's just so much collateral and vicarious trauma that you can't even have the conversations you need to have. And that's often the truth within families. So we have to build healthy relationships, but we also have to check a lot of our own malice and attitude but that really requires a community to hold you up because many folks don't feel adored 
They don't feel like they can have those conversations. They don't feel like anyone is lifting them up. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a lot of issues. It's a lot of issues. It definitely is. Unfortunately, we're going to have to start bringing this conversation to a close. But before we do, uh, the question I ask every dreamer and doer is, what do you dream to do? Because you're doing hmm. a lot, especially on the local level, especially, <laughs> you know, here in New York State. Um, but what is it that you're dreaming to do? And, you know, FYI, did some research and I read that you want to make some changes on the federal level. Yeah. So can you talk about how that is one of your dreams? Yeah. You know, after doing I originally started doing work on Rikers Island. It was like very institutional. And then I did work in central Brooklyn. So I got a sense of like smaller local communities. And this campaign is a New York state campaign. So it's statewide. And I said to myself, the logical next step would be federal legislation, working on legislation on the national level. You know, I think the thing that I dream to do, and I've done it a little bit here and there, I've got to go to Geneva and testify at the United Nations, and I've been doing some international work, is really national and international work that has larger long-term impact. One thing for me that has always been important is that I want to be able to impact the most people possible. So whatever work allows me to do that is probably the work I'll be doing. Wow, that is so inspirational. Thank you again, Angelo Pinto. How can people get in touch with you, maybe donate to the Justice League or become an ally? Well, you can go to www.justiceleague.com to donate to the Justice League. You can find me at Angelo Pinto 720 on Twitter or Angelo underscore Pinto on Instagram. Or you could go to the correctionalassociation.com and find my email and phone number. Definitely. And we'll definitely be here to continue to support. And I just want to end by saying that, you know, we can all learn something from the work that you're doing. I mean, no matter what your spark is, no matter what your passion may be, I think that we all have that responsibility to our communities and especially to the disenfranchised, marginalized communities that seem to bear the burden of us all, especially here in America. And I think that if we can dedicate some time, whether it's not our career, but maybe we can donate a dollar, maybe we can go to a rally, maybe we can you know even repost or retweet something right and and definitely your legislature especially on the raise the age thing definitely if that this is a state issue it's a new york state issue if you care about this issue you're not calling your federal congressperson in washington dc you're calling your legislature in albany your assembly person your state senator and you're telling them we have to do this no definitely especially when it comes to protecting our children the most vulnerable people in our communities and on that note we do have to say goodbye but don't worry guys we'll be here (laughs) again god willing right here here on WATR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. Check us out on our website, lyvbh.com, and definitely subscribe to us via iTunes at LYVBH Radio. See you next Sunday.